I am so glad. I've been looking so forward to this morning and being able to talk about what we're going to talk about. We're going to wrap up our Life App series uh, this morning. So again, as Zan said, welcome for those of you that are joining us online. I got some messages from people for different reasons. Uh, they'd normally be here and gather, but they are joining us online this morning. And for those of you gathered in the room, we're just so grateful to be able to do that. Uh, but one of the reasons that I've been looking forward to this morning is to be able to talk about uh, our partnership with other churches and with our, within our denomination and our partnership with North Point Community Church in Atlanta. Uh, because of that, throughout the year, I get to talk with church leaders literally all over the nation and all over the country on a regular basis. And one of the things that I get to do that I love to do is I get to share about how generous uh, so many of you are. In fact, the denomination that we're a part of, the ECC, and I'm not going to explain all the denomination that we're a part of, but the ECC has a global publication, and in the next issue, the main story that they are doing is about our small, less than four-year-old uh, church here in Wichita, Kansas, and our work specifically in seeking to serve the under-resourced uh, through our Project Laundry, which is awesome. Uh, because not only is that a testament and a testimony to you, uh, but other sto that story is going to inspire other churches, not just in this nation, but across the globe. They're going to read that and go, oh, that's cool. We could do something like that. Or it'll create creative ideas. And they're going to think of other ways that they can serve in their community. And that's going to happen because of you. Because you made that happen. And I've been able to talk to leaders about how so many of you made a real difference in the lives of college students and single parents and families over recent months through giving to the COVID relief fund in which we were able to provide groceries and gas and utility, cover utility bills and even rent payments for people that directly were directly impacted because of the shutdowns and the layoffs and how we were able to provide a year's worth of internet to around 30 under-resourced grade schoolers, some of whom are homeless, uh, just down the road at Jackson Elementary so that they could continue their education through this stupid pandemic. But to be honest, uh, especially, uh, giving like that, uh, giving especially to specific efforts, is not exclusively a Christian thing, right? Uh, it's just kind of who we are as a people. We love to give to specific needs, and this is how most American give, Americans give. That when there's a specific need, uh, that like a tornado or a hurricane or some sort of natural disaster in our country or even in another country or around the holidays, we hear a story about a struggling family where there's not going to be a Christmas meal on the table or there may not be Christmas uh, presents around the trees, uh, tree for the kids. That kind of tugs on our heartstrings, and we like to give directly to help immediately. And I'd like to call, sort of give that, uh, call that kind of giving, giving 1.0. That because you're basically giving uh, to, you're giving to give directly and affect immediately. And that's good. We should all spontaneously give. Uh, we should all do that when there's a need. My wife and I love to do that. But one of the things that makes, us po makes it possible for us to operate and to gather and not just weather a pandemic, but to serve one another and to serve others through all of this and to reach outside the walls and to reach into and serve our community and to be able to plan for the future, even through a pandemic, is because many of you have learned to be 2.0 givers. 
meaning you're planned givers, you're percentage givers. Uh, you, you plan for how to give. It's not just spontaneous or in the moment like, wow, there's a specific need that I want to meet, so I'm going to drop a little money in, I'm going to give a donation. And for many of us, we are pre-planned and we give, we've decided to give a percentage of our income away. We've decided I'm going to give 10% or 15% or 20% or 4% of my money away. So you're priority percentage givers, which means that you're like me. You get paid, boom, there it goes. First, 15th of the month, it's just what I do. And you don't have to be asked or begged. I don't have to stand up here and plead. Though we talk every week about generosity, which I'll explain later, uh, we don't even take up an offering every week. And part of that is because of the environment that we want to create for those that are going to be checking us out for the first time, many of whom have had had a pretty negative experience or perception that all churches want is my money. Uh, The other reason is that most of us who give, we give online, which is amazing. And for uh, many of you, you give because you're essentially doing for others what someone did for you in the sense that maybe you grew up in the church and you look back and you're so glad that you were able to grow up in that church because it shaped you or you had a life-defining moment in a local church. And so you've decided, you know what, I want to make sure that this generation and the next generation has the opportunity to have an awesome local church experience like I did that can make an impact in their life and make make their life better. Or maybe you didn't grow up in the church. And you just want to make sure that there's an outward-facing church in our city that is, is, is focused on, the next, on this generation and the next generation being able to grow up in it. And this is why we're able to do what we do, uh, why we, and this is why we're able to do what we do and look to the future and to build from here. And something that you need to know and you need to understand is that planned giving makes spontaneous giving possible. For example, most recently, a young wife that's part of our community proposed a unique way to serve and reach people in our city. Uh, She recently started volunteering with the Red Cross and takes care packs to people who have experienced loss because of fire or maybe a flood in their home. And her idea was, what if we did an additional care package from New Life Wichita and we leveraged our partnership with Project Laundry uh, that we would do an additional kit that's just from our community, from New Life Wichita, that would include a laundry pack for free loads of laundry, a Chick-fil-A card, a generous Dylan's gift card. And she and her husband decided, you know what, if New Life will cover half of the Dylan's cards, they would cover the other half. And the reason we were able to go, that's awesome idea. Yes, let's do that. The reason we were able to say yes to that and be able to help individuals in one of the most difficult moments of their life is because of the planned and priority givers that are part of our community. Because the local church, our church, is more than just three or four songs and a message. It's about gathering and growing a group of people that truly want to reflect God's love and be a part of what God wants to do in our city and in our community and what He's up to in this world and affect people in our community. And those of you that operate by a plan to support your local church, who support us financially, you're doing that makes that kind of spontaneous giving possible. And on, on top of what we do each week, because of your generosity, you make gathering in this building possible. You made all the awesome gatherings that we had during COVID when it was warm enough to be outside. You made that possible. You make engaging the next generation possible. You make the curriculum, curriculum we use possible. You make groups possible. You make what we do with children possible. Uh, you were able to dream about and grow uh, towards the future and serving middle school and high school students and college students. You make that possible. You make it possible for me to 
invest my full-time focus and energies in serving and leading this community possible. You make Rebecca, our Kids Life Director, possible because you're planned givers. You're not just limited to spontaneous giving. You pick the percentage and you give first. You're the reason that we can do what we do week in, week out, and dream towards the future. And, and I don't tell you this often enough, but thank you. I just want to say thank you so much for that. But here's where I feel a little bit like a failure as a, pos- as a pastor. And if you feel any guilt about what I'm going to say next, don't. Because I don't blame you, I blame me. I'm on a three on the Enneagram, so I'm going to blame myself no matter what. Uh, but what I would blame myself for is that about 60% of the adults that call New Life their home church have a plan for how they plan to support their local church financially. And as we're going to see, uh, this isn't about something that I want from you. Now, the good news is that's better than 50%. In fact, statistically, when compared to other churches across this country, I'm just telling you, like, we're way ahead. We are doing great. It's awesome. But it's kind of like determining if my marriage is a really good marriage by comparing it to other marriages. Okay, it doesn't, isn't really the best way to determine how great your marriage actually is. But what this means is the financial resources that come in to serve 100% and plus of of the New Life community comes from just over half. And the reason it makes me feel a little bit like a failure and the reason why I'm taking a little time to talk about this Life app today of giving is because when you read the New Testament, we discover the financial stewardship to the local church is part of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, as we talked, it was talked about last week by Andy, a lot of people call themselves Christian. And there's a whole history behind the word Christian. And as most of you know, we talk more about being a Jesus follower. Because again, as Andy talked about last week, uh, in being a Christian, it's sometimes limited to hear something that I believe. Whereas being a Jesus follower is belief in action shown by what we do. It's dynamic. And Jesus followers are personally, emotionally, and financially invested in what Jesus is up to in this world. From the first century on, one of the things that Jesus followers do and have done is Jesus followers fund what God is trying to do in the world through the local church. In fact, Jesus was way more harsh about this than I'm being. Because Jesus said, you cannot be fully submitted to the lordship of him, of Christ, and not support his work with the resources that you believe that he, that God has provided for you. You just can't. You can be a Christian. You can pray. You can believe in your heart. You can hope for heaven when you die. You can believe that Jesus died. Uh, You can believe, 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 but you're not submitted to his lordship if certain do things, as we've talked about through this Life App series, are not part of your lifestyle. Because we have not been called to be simply Jesus believers. We've been called to be Jesus followers. That what's most important to God, that what's most important to Jesus becomes most important to me. And what I do with my money is evidence of what's most important to me. And and I'm not talking about the one-offs. I'm talking about the consistent things that I do with my money, which is why Jesus' teaching is so brilliant. Jesus said that no matter what I say with my mouth, follow the money and you'll know what I value the most. So he makes a statement, and it's just simply a global truth. Jesus said, where your treasure is, in other words, where you put or direct your financial resources, your treasure, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it doesn't matter what you believe about God. This is just fact. It's just reality. 
What you do with your money is an indication of where your heart is. It's an indication of where my heart is. It's a litmus test of what's most important to you. And if you're not a Christian, this is a great day to not be a Christian. Like, if I got to do that, and this is an area where you might have the, uh, the right to call some of us out as hypocrites, because you cannot be a Jesus follower and not submit your financial resources to Him as your King, as your Savior. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and you know this is true of all of us, and, and I can prove it. Some of you, for example, own stocks, or you have mutual funds. And uh, what you do is every once in a while, or maybe these days frequently, uh, you check a single letter or a small set of letters and to see what is it doing. It represents the stock. It represents this investment. And you want to know what's it doing, especially 2020. Is it up? Is it down? Should I sell? Should I buy? And let's be honest. If your long or short investment is going the right direction, you feel something, right? Like there's an emotional response to that. And it likely affects your mood. And if it's going the wrong direction, you feel emotional about that. You have a feeling. It affects you. Why? Because a little piece of your heart is there. You're emotionally invested in that. You're personally invested to a few letters on a screen. You have a personal connection. You're not checking investments or tickers that you don't own and that you're never interested in buying. Why? Because your heart isn't there. So this is just something that's true of all of us. It's true of me. It's true of you. And what you do with your money is evidence of what's most important to you. So Jesus warns us. He calls us out. And he says, look, following me is not some internal private thing any more than if you're married, that your marriage or being married is some sort of internal private thing that you just keep to yourself. Like marriage, following Jesus, it's a relationship. It's, it's a commitment. It's a relationship that informs decisions about your mind and your body, your sexual expression, your time commitments, how you treat people, and in your finances. Now, this is very important. Don't hear me saying something that I'm not, because I am not saying that we should feel, feel guilty about spending money on things and enjoying it. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, the Apostle Paul says God generously gives us everything for what? For our enjoyment. But in the context, he says, enjoy it. Have fun with it. But don't put your hope in it. Don't put your heart there. Don't let it be your master. And follow me is a do thing. And you don't do it so that you go to heaven. But you, because you've surrendered your life, you've surrendered every part of your life to Jesus. And what you do with your money is a big part of that. Now, I want to say something to just the men for a second. And I know this is difficult for you to believe, but before I was a pastor, I was actually a man. Okay, like you. Uh, I, I know it's shocking. You may think I live in some sort of weird spiritual bubble, but money means to me what money means to you. And what does money mean to us? It means security. It, it's evidence of who I am, uh, how much I've accomplished, how successful I've been, uh, how smart I am. Uh, money means options. Money means is, uh, options for what I want to do or can do in the future. And for me specifically, because one of my primary love languages is gifts, giving gifts. It's the way I like to show love, especially to my amazing wife. I'll confess that sometimes I struggle with the wish that I made more. 
Sometimes I, I, I struggle with the wish that I could give her more, not because she expects more or ever, ever makes me feel guilty about it, because she doesn't. In fact, she's expressed appreciation for everything. She's expressed appreciation for the ability to be a stay-at-home mom when our children were young and that we've been able to live with margin and go on adventures together. So it's all me. It's not her. And, but I'll be honest. There are moments when, yeah, it's like I wish I had more money because like Aladdin, I want to show her the world, shining, simmering, uh, shimmering, simmering, <laughs> shimmering, and splendid. In fact, just last week over Thanksgiving, uh, we didn't really make it public uh, very much, uh, but I planned just a relaxing getaway for just the two of us in Jackson, Wyoming. We had an amazing time, but I never told her that in the planning process, there were times I was really frustrated because when you're starting to look like, oh, here's an awesome tour, and we could go on a helicopter, and we could go chase a bear, and all these things, and, and, but then I'd pull it up, and here's what it costs. I'm like, well, Maybe we'll watch a YouTube video about it, because that ain't going to happen. And, and I just faced all those, also all those other internal feelings of, about security and ability and intelligence and accomplishment and options. So I, I totally get that. I don't live in some sort of alternative universe where money somehow magically means something different for me than it means for you. And here's what I know about most men, and ladies, I know this is true for some of you as well, but in my experience, this is just really typically a guy thing, uh, but in my experience, uh, we tend to view and measure ourselves through our finances. It's like we look through this lens, it's like, how much have we made? How much do we make? How do we live? How much have we saved up? What are our options for the future? And sometimes, especially for us as men, our financial resources are our last holdout when it comes to surrendering not to the believeship, but to the followership of Jesus. And I've heard story after story of men who said, you know when it finally became real for me, when it finally became emotional, where, when I was just finally all in, it, it wasn't when I prayed a prayer or when I lifted my hand in worship or I decided, okay, from now on I'm going to church every Sunday. It's when I finally said, Heavenly Father, you can have all of me, including my money. I've shared this many times before. My wife played a huge role in this for me because early in our relationship, even before we were married, she was already faithfully giving to the local church. And I was preparing to go to seminary, and then I was going to seminary. And in my mind, I basically took a few verses and concepts out of the Bible, mainly the Old Testament, and I somehow convinced myself or tried to convince everyone else that, you know what, I'm giving my whole life to God, so that's like way more than 10%, so He doesn't need like this 10% of my income. And then especially in our, our, our marriage, when we were like broke as a joke, like it was ramen noodles, except for payday, it was craft mac macaroni and cheese, like we were just stepping it up. But my wife just patiently challenged me in this area until I was finally honest with myself and with her and with God. I was making excuses because in brutal honesty, I was making excuses out of fear and greed. It's like, well, what if there's not enough for me? What if there's not enough for what I want to do? And, and you know what? I, I worked hard for this, and I'm not going to make that much anyways, so I'm going to do all these other things for God, right? And then I'll just keep this, this for me. So I understand this more than you know, but say what you want to say. Believe what you want to believe. I say this because I love you, and I've experienced it, that until your heavenly Father has access to your money, He does not have access to your heart. And guys, if you're not careful, you're going to be a hypocrite. And you don't like hypocrites. So don't be somebody you don't like. Because what's interesting is, 
if you hit, when, when you hit a financial bump in your life, uh, you know, you're not going to get the bonus that you thought you were going to get at the end of the year, or suddenly the company says, hey, for the next month, nobody's getting paid, or everybody's getting paid half, or you're getting laid off, or you're getting furloughed, and you lose your job, or suddenly there's a big unexpected medical bill, or some big repair on the car, the house, what do you do? You pray. You pray, oh God, like God, God help me, God help us, send money, okay, help me find a job, help my wife find a job, help my son or daughter, help them get this scholarship because they're going to need it, God help us. In other words, what you're really saying is, God, I'd like to invite you into the world of my personal finances, and I think you should pray those prayers, I do, but shouldn't it feel a little inconsistent if you've never really made that part of your life and consistently available to your heavenly Father in heaven before whatever the crisis is. And again, here's the thing. You don't need to give your money because God needs your money. You need to give your money because this is a discipleship thing. This is a follow thing. It's a heart thing. And when you feel that tug on your heart, you need to pay attention to that because it means that you're close to a breakthrough in terms of, of your experience with God. And this is a core to what it means to follow Jesus. So it's your pastor who loves you. I want this for you. Now, part of the problem is this. We all prefer intervention over prevention. This is just human nature, okay? Uh, here's what I mean. For example, we, we ignore our health, we ignore our health, and we ignore our health, and then shockingly, we have a health issue. And what do we do? We have a health problem. We run to the doctor and say, Doc, I need, to, I need you to give me a pill. I need you to give me something, some sort of treatment that is going to make this better. And the doc's like, hey, you know what you need to do, but you don't want to do it because usually what he says is prevention. It's diet and exercise, which sounds completely unpleasant. Okay, this is no fun. Prevention is no fun. I just want intervention. I just want to be healed. Just give me a pill so I can feel better, so I can go have my cheeseburger and binge watch on the couch, okay? Or will you ignore the fundamentals of your marriage or in relationship to your kids and you just work all the time or you're just emotionally disconnected and suddenly there's a marriage problem or a problem with one of your kids and what do you do? You run to a counselor or your spouse drags you to a counselor and all of a sudden because you have ignored prevention, there needs to be an intervention. Or you ignore sound financial principles. You just kind of spend money and go into debt and use your credit cards and charge them up and live like everybody else and suddenly there's a financial crisis and what do you do? You go to a debt consolidator, you go to a financial counselor, you call the church and my point is that our human nature is we like to avoid prevention because it's no fun. And then we get ourselves into trouble, and now suddenly we need intervention, which is, to use a harsh word from the Old Testament, foolish. And we know it's foolish when we're in the middle of it, and, and we know it's foolish when we see other people doing it. But what's true of us in those other areas is also true of us when it comes to our giving. Because all of us, me included, we, we just love to solve a problem, Right? We'd rather solve a problem than prevent a problem. But which is better? Let me ask it this way. Would you rather be cured of a disease or just avoid it altogether? Just avoid it altogether. I mean, prevention is better than intervention. But intervention or giving is what most of us do. Because intervention, giving is emotional. And its results are measurable. 
Uh, you know, we give X amount of money to solve this problem, or here's somebody in need, or here was this tragedy, and so I'm going to give something, and it did X amount of good, and that's awesome, and we feel awesome. But prevention giving is neither emotional or measurable. But prevention giving is superior because, and you're going to write this down, prevention giving prevents things. Genius, right? Here's why I'm talking about this. Systematic giving to an outward-facing church is preventative. Systematic, meaning I've decided I'm going to set it up on recurring giving, or I've decided that every time I get paid, every month, whatever it is, systematic giving. Systematic planned giving to an outward-facing church is preventative. And by outward-facing church, what I mean is a church that is actually seeking to impact their community outside the walls and the community around them, those that are far from God, that there's a commitment to the next generation, working to ensure that the next generation loves Jesus and loves like Jesus. And when you give to that kind of church, it's preventative giving, but it's not emotional, it's not measurable, but it's superior and it's mature because it prevents, not measurable, which means I can't tell you how many children that connect to our community that their families won't blow up because their parents don't get a divorce, because they found the support and guidance and direction and authentic community that they needed here that prevented the things that would tear them apart. I can't tell you how many adults didn't or won't have an affair and stuck together and worked through some really hard challenges because of the influence of this local church that became their church. You can't measure that. But I'm telling you, it happens. And it will happen more and more and more in the months and the years to come. Here's a rare example that I can give you. Uh, recently, I got a message from a courageous person willing to share how new life was preventative for them, that what God has done through new life in their life gave the hope and strength that they needed most and the moment they needed most to not pull the trigger and just end it. Do you really understand what that means? It means that you helped prevent a suicide, just one that we know of. And the aftermath and the wreckage and the pain and the lives and the family members and the friends and everyone else connected to that person. But there are so many things that we will never know that we help prevent. But I'm telling you, it happens more than we know. And the reason it happens is because we're here. And the reason we're able to be here is because of the 50 to 60% of you who are just systematic, preventive givers. You're making a difference. And you'll likely never know the depth and the impact that you're making until you exit this world. Because Jesus taught that, that somehow, I don't know exactly how this works, but that on the other side, we're going to know. We're going to be able to see how we made a difference in this world through the generosity in our life. But right now, I can't tell you about the teenagers who aren't going to overdose because of what we will do with middle schoolers and high schoolers. I can't tell you how many young ladies are not going to have a surprise unplanned pregnancy because of the influence of our community. I can't tell you how many individuals and young people aren't going to drive drunk. I can't tell you how many lives are going to be saved and spared because of what students and children will learn through our church community. So to those of you who give, I can't tell you how much heartbreak you've already allowed people to avoid through your generosity. You can't measure it, but it's real. 
And giving to an outward facing church is one of the best prevention givings that you can do in your life. And I just want every one of you to join me, to join my family, to join the percentage of people that are making that kind of a difference in the world. Because for some of you, when you think about it, you know that you were like me at one time. And you kind of give God the leftovers. You kind of give God the bare minimum, if anything. But what if you were to take it to the next level? Last year, we talked about give, save, live. Give, save, live. You give first, you save second, you live on the rest. This is how you get financial security. But it's also how you impact the world through the church as well. You pick a percentage, you give it off the top. So I just want to urge you, for those of you that have yet to do this, to take the training wheels off of your faith. And just try it for a year when it comes to your giving. Try it for six months. Try it till the end of next May. But just do something extraordinary with the resources that God has entrusted to you. More than you could ever imagine by funding and giving to your local church. And the easiest way to do this is, is a newlifewichita.com. That you go, go to the website, you click give at the top. We've made it so easy. Again, I'd encourage you to do what my wife and I have done. We just set it up on recurring giving. And just we know it's locked in. It's a consistent basis. But it's just something that we do. Uh, but for some of you, you don't like, you're a little in, just uncomfortable with online finance. So we've got like an old school giving box on the way. Like you can give here, but... Whatever, pick a dollar amount, but better yet, pick a percentage. Join the 60-something percent that are giving on a consistent basis, but do something. Don't procrastinate. Automate. Okay, okay, that was really bad. Uh, I just want the rest of you to join us because we've got stuff that we want to do. We want to serve. We want to reach those that are far from God who are in reality actually not that far from God. But what's going to help them take that next step is our community and its influence in your life and in their life and how we connect with them and partnering with God and what He's already doing in their life. We want to grow to the point that we can offer at least two services. We, we've got people in this city to reach and to serve. And if we were to harness the financial horsepower of our entire church, we just can't imagine how great it will be because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And by giving, it means you're taking up a level. It means that your blood and your sweat through the week, is going to, some of that's going to be invested here, which will make you more passionate and make you more passionate about seeing us succeed. But just one caveat. If you don't know me, you don't trust me, you don't like me, you don't like this church, I'm just telling you, if you're a Christian, for your sake for your family's sake, for the kingdom's sake, find a church you trust. And then come up with a plan to support that local church financially. I just don't want you to spend another season of your Christian life missing, this out, missing out on this because it is so central to what it means to follow Jesus. Now, I could have stood up here and shown you all kinds of verses and created all kinds of guilt or go the magic route, which if you will give God a dollar, he will give you 10. If you give him 10, he'll give you 100. You give him 100, he will give you 1,000. Just buckle up. But it's not true. In fact, the people that teach it and make a lot of money teaching it, if they really believed it, they wouldn't be asking for money. They'd be sending us money. You just figure that out later when you go home. But, but, and I could tell you the Bible teaches tithing, and if you tithe, then God will bless you, and maybe he will. In fact, from my personal experience, he, he, he does. I could say all kinds of stuff like that, but I am never going to try to manipulate you 
and all those motivations and, and leverage points, honestly, it just makes it all about you and it makes it all about me. But this isn't about something coming our way. This is in response to something that if you're a Christian, you already believe came your way. That while you were still a sinner, one writer in the New Testament going so far to say is while you were God's enemy, He loved you. So God gave. And Christ died for you. And now He says, I've given all of me for all of you. Now follow me with all of you. Because giving is just the natural, appropriate response to God's incredible giving to us. And this is our opportunity to join our Heavenly Father in what He's up to in this world because the local church is the hope of the world. The church is the hands and feet of Jesus on planet Earth. The church is plan A, B, and C. And we've been invited to participate in God's activity in the world. So why would we want to miss out on that? The greatest investment you can make with your life other than your family is the local church. So if you're in that lesser percentage, I just want to ask you to go home today, log off today, and before next Sunday, come up with a plan for how you plan to support your local church. Become a pre- preventative 2.0 giver because for God so loved the world that he gave 10% of his son. No, for God so loved the world that he gave all of himself, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? So that we could know what God is like and that he doesn't just love us, he actually likes us and that we could experience and live in his love and in the assurance of his presence in our life and then reflect that to others. And then the last thing, and then then I'm going to quit. If you choose not to give, we're still going to be here for you. No matter what, this, again, isn't about guilt. We're just going to be here because that's what we've been called to do. And we enjoy doing this because for most of us, it's what somebody did for us and it made all the difference in our world because I know where I might be if it weren't for the influence of the local church on my life. And it kind of terrifies me. And some of you, you know where you would be if it weren't for that. So if you haven't already, just do it. Just come up with a plan for how you plan to support the local church, our church financially. And at the end of the day, it won't be about money. It's going to be about God having full access to your heart. And it may be the thing that changes your life. So that's our final life app, giving. These life applications that we've looked over the past weeks, if you've missed any, you owe it to yourself to go back and and catch up on those. But these life apps, if you're a Christian here today, you're with us, you're listening online today, these are life apps that we're commanded to do. And the great thing is the Apostle Paul said that when we apply these things, when we live these things day day in and day out in our lives, the Apostle Paul said, you yourselves become, you are our letter written on hearts, known and read by everyone. You show outside that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, and not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. In other words, your actions speak. Your actions speak louder than your words, and by living these out, it will send a message. It will get people's attention. It will lead to conversations about why you live and why you love and why you give of yourself that is, is countercultural and in, in many ways is counterintuitive. 
yet in a way that's kind of amazing, almost irresistible, to the point that people want to understand the story, the why behind the way you live and treat people, even people very different from you, that believe different than you, that think different, people that might even be considered your enemy. So let's choose and let's it be our aim to not simply be hearers of the word, but to go and do because application makes all the difference. Let me pray for us. Father, I am I'm just so thankful for the influences that I've had in my life. And God, I, I pray for all of us that truly you, you would give us your mindset and your heart when it comes to our attitude towards generosity. I pray that you give us courage and to, to not live in fear that somehow we won't have enough because we can't outgive you. And I pray, Father, that you would multiply, that you would multiply what we do give in the lives of people in our community in this world, that it would shine a light ultimately towards your Son and towards the love that you have for us, and that it, it wouldn't be about making us look good. And Father, I, I pray that as we continue to work in this city and in this community, that you would just do far more than we could ask or imagine as we work to be as faithful as we can with our lives and in pursuing you and seeking to reflect your son, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith who laid his life down for us. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.